The sermon that I'm going to bring this morning is entitled Incarnation Love. And really, if we were to have the candles that are up front often during the Christmas season, I would be lighting the candle for love. And in looking at that for this week, I found that in the high holy calendar, sort of the calendar that some of the high churches follow, the call was for me to be reading from the shepherds who were in the fields where the angels came and visited them and then drew their attention towards Bethlehem that Christ had been born and placed in a manger the same way they would have put their own children. But as I looked at that text, I realized I wanted to save that for Christmas Eve. So I'm kind of breaking out of stride from the high holy calendar, and yet I still am going to be talking about incarnation love. With that, though, I felt as though God really called me to focus on two verses or two chunks of verses, both of which focus on the story of the birth of Jesus. One is for Mary, and the other is for Joseph. Since the one for Mary in the Gospel of Luke is longer, we're going to take more time with that. But have you ever had in your life an announcement that changed your life? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had an announcement that changed your life? I know that for my generation, and I know some of us have been thinking personally in that moment, I know we've had people recently that have gotten engaged here at City. There's an announcement. But as I was thinking about the announcement for my generation, it would definitely be September the 11th. If there was an announcement that everyone paid attention to, it would be September 11th. And as I was thinking about that announcement, I know where I was standing in my home. I was actually in my bedroom We used to have a small TV up on my dresser. I was standing there. All of a sudden, in the morning, that news switched. I'm looking at the screen. Total unbelief, disbelief about what was happening. It was an announcement that has affected everyone, not just in the United States of America, but has affected people all over this world. But what I know about that announcement is this, that there are some people who when that announcement went out, they owned it personally. As a matter of fact, I have a very close friend of mine who a few weeks ago shared their faith story about September the 11th. And when they heard the announcement about what happened, they took it personally. And they ended up signing up for the Marine Corps and serving a couple of tours of duty in response to that announcement. Here's what I know. I know that the announcement of Jesus that we're going to look at this morning has affected the entire world. It truly has. But it's not until we take it personally that it actually has the effect that God has intended. So that theme of there being an overarching announcement And then this friend of mine who heard the announcement took it personally and personally engaged because of it. That is how the gospel story is. We're going to read about two people, Mary and Joseph, who took the announcement personally. Now before we get to the reading of Scripture, 
In order for me to put myself in a frame of mind, here's a little secret that I do at times to prepare for a sermon. I will go online and look at some of the finest art that's ever been made that involves the story that I'll be teaching on. Mostly, if you ever Google Annunciation, which is the theological term for when the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and announces to her God's plan for her life, it's known as the Annunciation. If you Google that, you will get Leonardo da Vinci. But my favorite painting that I focused on while prepping this sermon was by Henry Tanner. And I want you to see that picture if we could put that up on the screen. Here we see Mary. We see the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, coming to her and bringing to her what we're getting ready to read. So with that picture in mind and that challenge of the annunciation, the announcement that went out all over the world about the birth of Jesus, the idea of taking it personally in our own lives. Let's read now Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 39. I'd like us to read. Here's what scripture tells us. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now who's Elizabeth? Seems rather odd if you've never read the Newer Testament that someone else's pregnancy would be used to frame Mary's pending pregnancy. What you really need to know is Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mother and is a cousin of Mary. So Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. And the scripture says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, or the angel that God sends Gabriel, comes to Mary. So let's read. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. By the way, that is the most quoted command in all of scripture. Don't be afraid. So the angel says to her, don't be afraid. If you look at that text and you recognize what's happening, It is shocking. But the angel says to her again, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. The word favor comes up again. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And the proof of that is that we are sitting here. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. 
May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So for the first portion of this sermon, I would like for us to consider as we look towards Christmas and the Christmas Eve service that we'll have in this auditorium, I would like us to consider the gospel story that we find in Luke. Now, this past week, actually for the past two weeks, I'm involved with somewhat of an outreach around town where groups of people gather together to study the scriptures. We do that weekly. Many of the people that attend are not people of faith. This past couple of weeks, I've kind of had the privilege of leading the dialogue with groups of women, probably a total of 70 women between the two groups. And we have discussed and dialogued about what we just read. And in those groups, these women, they gave me a gift They gave me a kindness, they gave me a grace, because as a lady hears that story, I'm going to be totally honest, that when women hear that story, they hear it very differently than men do, very differently. And what stunned me was sitting there listening to these 70 women, again in two separate groups, asking questions and dialoguing about the angel Gabriel coming and making the Annunciation to Mary. And here's what I learned. This was the gift these women gave to me. They talked about how intimate this story really is. How the angel Gabriel is showing up to Mary and his request from God is incredibly intimate. That the purpose of her life, that the vision she's had for her future, the angel Gabriel is showing up and altering the plans that she has. And in doing so, again, the women spoke of something that had never dawned on me, and that was the intimacy of the request that was being made by God through the angel Gabriel. Now, as we look at this text, we discover that two times the word favor is mentioned. I want to talk about this for a period of time. And here's why. In reading these scriptures that I just read to you, in reading them among women outside of the church walls, many of whom are not people of faith, but they're checking out faith. They have a growing interest in Jesus. They have not come to the point where they've made the decision to follow him, but they're checking out who Jesus is. One of the things that showed up in our conversation was that they felt like there was something uniquely special about Mary. And because she was special, God approached her. But for whatever reason, these women in the room, many of them felt like somehow Mary was categorically different from them. And it's all because of the word favor. We read in the scripture in Luke chapter 1 verse 28, I want to bring it up on the screen again. It says, the angel went to her, meaning Mary, and said, greetings, you who are what? Highly favored. The Lord is with you you. 
What you need to know is that the word favored is the Greek word charis. And that word simply means gift or grace. Gift or grace. Every time you say grace, you are bringing favor. Every time you think about the grace of God, which the definition is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. God chooses to give it, and it's his choice. There's nothing about me that can bring favor into my life. And yet the angel shows up to Mary and says, you who are highly favored. Well, what you do when you want to study a word biblically, you have to find where else it's used in Scripture. That word is used in one other place in the Newer Testament, and it's used by the Apostle Paul. Same word, translated differently in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I want to read it to us. Here's what Scripture tells. Here's what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes, For he chose us in him, meaning Jesus. For he chose us in Jesus before the creation of the world. So before you ever lived, God chose you in Christ. Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Here's the next two words. In love, God predestined us. He predestined us. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has what? Freely given. Freely given us in the one he loves. Those two words, freely given, are the exact translation of the exact same word. So where it speaks of highly favored, now in Paul's writing, the New Testament translators call it freely given. Highly favored, what is it? Freely given. Highly favored, freely given. So what the angel is saying to Mary is that God by his grace has highly favored you. God by his grace is freely giving to you what's coming next. He's giving it freely. You have not earned it. You and who you are has not somehow got a unique attachment to God. But whenever we read that text, we assume there was something unique about Mary. And oftentimes when I read biblical con commentaries about this text, you will find theologians trying to guess what was unique about Mary. Why did God choose her? But when you pull back and you look at the Greek words, here's what you find. There was nothing unique about Mary. Nothing unique. God chose her. She was highly favored. God freely gave to her what was coming next into her life. And all of that, according to Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, 1, 4 through 6, it's all due to the fact that God loves us, loves her. You see, the passage in Ephesians 1 says, you cannot earn God's love, that he redeemed you before the foundation of the earth, that before you ever breathed a breath, 
God's plan was already in action in love through Christ so that his grace, his glorious grace, could be freely given to us. Freely given, highly favored. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm highly favored. (laughs) That's the first time you've ever heard that said about you. Highly favored. Now here's what I do know. Some of you said it half-heartedly. You still don't believe me. You still think there's something unique about Mary. So if you were to go on in the Gospel of Luke, you would find that in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, again we read it, it says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found what? Favor with God. God's grace has touched your life, Mary. His loving kindness has touched your grace. Favor is the same as the word grace. God's grace chose you. That's why you're favored. There's nothing in Mary that could earn it. If you were to read on a little further in the Gospel of Luke, you would find the text that I'll be reading on Christmas Eve here in this auditorium. That text is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, and it involves the shepherds. You see, you have to understand that the shepherds were on the lowest rung of the social caste system of all of Israel. They're on the lowest rung. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his what? Favor rests. His favor rests. So most of us, when we read that, we will read it the same way we look at Mary. We'll go, we'll go well, the shepherds were there. There was something unique about them. And so God is showing up making the annunciation to them as well, telling them to go and visit the baby, and there's something unique about these shepherds. Because if God says, God says that there's peace, and peace rests on those on whom his favor rests. But here's what's stunning. And again, for those of us who are struggling, I want you to read a quote from Thayer's Greek lexicon. Now, it may sound like I'm getting a little too heady here, but I want you to catch this. Thayer's Greek lexicon, a lexicon, is something that those of us who study Greek words go to to find the true meaning of Greek words. And I want you to notice what Thayer's Greek lexicon says about that Greek phase, phrase, men on whom his favor rests. I want you to catch this. Men on whom his favor rests, or those on whom his favor rests, that the angel and the angelic host announces over the shepherds. Men on whom his favor rests is not a particular class of men. In other words, believers. I want you to see this, but the whole race. The whole race. You got to catch this. The whole race is contemplated as blessed in Christ's birth. 
It's not just people who accept Jesus. It's not just the Jewish people who were in Bethlehem. What the Greek lexicon shows us is when that phrase hits, those on whom his favor rests. You have to understand, because Jesus came into the world, every single human being is blessed. God's favor is on every single human being that is born the way Jesus is born. That's what the angelic host is announcing. God's favor is not just for the shepherds on the side of that hill hearing the angelic announcement. The angels are announcing that all humankind now has God's favor because this child has been born into the world. God's grace, his unmerited favor, is available to anyone. You don't have to be special. You don't have to be unique. All you have to be is a person. That's it. And if you are a person, God's favor rests on you in Jesus. Now, as we look at our story, what we will discover is that Mary is truly amazing. I never want to take that away from her. Because some of us are sitting here going, now, wait a second, it sounds like you're demoting Mary. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just elevating all of us to similar status, that God's unlimited favor his love, his grace is available the way it was for Mary, for every one of us in this room. Now, it is true that Mary had certain qualities. She did. There are reasons why God chooses her. And some of us are now leaning in going, I want to hear those reasons because I knew that there was something special about her. I'm going to tell you what was special about her. She was from the line of David. She was alive at the right time, and she was a virgin. Those three things. Those are the things that cause God to choose her. And so when we think about the idea of God highly favoring Mary, she was at the right place at the right time, and she was in the right station of womanhood that God would be able to use, you, use her as one of the central figures of the story of the incarnation of Jesus. Now here's what I love. The Bible says, and the angel announces to her, Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. With you. And I ask myself, why does the angel have to announce twice to Mary that she is highly favored and saying it again, Mary, the Lord's favor is with you. Why does he have to say it twice? I'll tell you why. Because I think Mary needed to hear it again. And so do we. Once isn't enough. We are highly favored. Through Christ, God's grace is extended to us. Now, I know some of you sitting here know the story well, and you're going, but wait a second, Pete. I know that the angel says two times, God's favor is with you. You are highly favored. But Mary's initial response seems strange. When the angel brings the announcement, here's what she says. 
How will this be? Because I am a virgin. And at first glance, it seems as though she's rejecting God's plan. But here's what I want to tell you. She's rejecting nothing. All she's asking for is clarification. There's a big difference. Mary's not saying, I'm not in. All she's saying is, I can't figure out how this will happen. So God, please explain it to me. But in the end, she believes that God's favor truly is for her. That she truly is highly favored. You and I are highly favored the exact same way. There's no difference. But she believed it. She believed that by God's grace, God loved her and has a plan for her life. And that in Christ, there's something unique that God wants to do through Christ in her life. And understanding that, two times, Mary, you're favored. Mary, you're highly favored. She reaches out in faith. And she receives the gift that God's trying to give her. Now, how does Mary respond in the end? Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. What I noticed among these ladies as we talked about this passage of Scripture Many of them, again, who are not people of faith, who are checking out faith, what they talked about at the end of our time that was so profound to me was they talked about Mary's obedience to God's word. That God had brought a message to her, she believed it was for her personally, and she walked it out in obedience. She looks at God and says, let your word to me be fulfilled. She was obedient to it. And speaking of obedience, we're now going to quickly look, just for a brief moment, at Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we find Joseph, her future husband. Because you see, the angel of the Lord comes to Mary first, and now Joseph finds out that his fiancée's with child. And Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, tells us about Joseph struggling with the call of God in his life. Here's what Scripture tells us, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. By the way, in the ancient world, marriages were arranged, and if you broke off that engagement, you had to have a legal writ of divorce in order to break off an engagement. So that was his plan. But notice what the scripture says that Joseph was faithful to the law, and yet he was a kind person. He did not want to bring her into public disgrace. So he was going to move forward and divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 500 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said, this will be a sign to you. The virgin will be with child. And when you see that, God will do a new thing. Reading on it tells us, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The following picture is the picture that I observed while I was writing this sermon. It's the, sermon of, it's the picture of the annunciation of an angel to Joseph. You will notice that God speaks to Joseph in a dream. One of the theories is why, is if he would have been awake, he would have said no. So he's asleep. But the real reason is, is because Joseph's namesake from the Older Testament is Joseph, the one who saved Israel because he walked out dreams. Now his namesake is his mentor. And as Joseph falls asleep, God speaks to him in a dream. And essentially says to Joseph, what Mary has been telling you is absolutely true. That her pregnancy is not by another man. That her pregnancy truly has come from the Holy Spirit. And the child she is carrying will save all of humankind. Now, for the past two weeks, we've talked about the Gospel of Matthew among men in total, about 150 men. Many of them are not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. But in two separate groups, for two weeks in a row, I've sat down with groups of men, again, many of whom are outside of faith, and they've read these passages of scriptures, and they have also given me the gift of insight, of things that I would have never noticed. And here are some of the things that the men said as we consider putting feet to our faith with what we've learned this morning. Here's what these 150-odd men said. It was very fascinating. One guy said, God did not check with Joseph first. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't check with Joseph. Someone else said, forgiveness is always better to get than permission. But God circumvents the authority of Joseph, and he goes to Mary. And then he comes back to Joseph later and says, Joseph, here's what I've done. Here's what Mary has agreed to. And the men in that room began to talk about how God is in charge of the Christmas story. They also began to talk about how is it that God wants to be involved and in charge in my own life? And I know for men, this is the most difficult thing. To recognize that God calls us to trust him. That if we're ever going to put feet to our faith towards Jesus, there's the call of God where we humble ourselves as men. And we acknowledge that God 
is in control. And the Christmas story begins this way. Joseph has a plan. God doesn't blow up the plan or destroy the plan. God simply shows up and gives Joseph a new reason as to why his life plan needs to move forward. His plan was to marry Mary. But now there's a new reason for him to marry Mary. And for some of us men, we live in fear that if I give Jesus my whole life, somehow he's going to show up and make me do something I never would want to do ever at all. No possible way. Yet I have found that when people begin to walk in faith with Jesus, their, their life gains a purpose that they could have never dreamt. Oftentimes, it's not that the profession changes or the vision for their future changes. What changes is the why of what they're doing. Because in Christ, we find a purpose that is truly found in him. Another thing the men noticed is that Joseph never speaks. He never talks. Mary, she does. Joseph never says a word. What Joseph does, though, speaks louder than words. These men talked about how Joseph has the encounter with the angel, and the Scripture says so clearly, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home, not as his betrothed, but as his wife. And I remember sitting in that room when we hit that verse and someone from the back of the room said that Joseph covered her shame. That in taking her home, knowing that she's already with child and the child is not hers, Joseph is owning that as his own. And in doing so, He's covering her. And it's not that Mary couldn't have handled it on her own. It's just that Joseph views her differently now because of Jesus. And he takes her into his life, not as his betrothed, but as his wife. So we have two people that bring us the Christmas story. They are Mary and Joseph. Mary, oh yes, She's highly favored, but so are you. The angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, here's my plan. Here's a plan that I have for your life. Will you accept it by faith and walk in it? Let's stand together as we close. As we stand together, and we close our eyes just for a moment to prepare our hearts for worship. Here's what I can tell you. I have watched hundreds and hundreds of people over the last few decades of ministry that have come to the Christmas story. When they have, they've begun to see God in a new way. My prayer is, is that every one of us, before we exit this auditorium, we would open up our hearts like Mary and Joseph. We would be willing to receive the fullness of the incarnation of Christ.